Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and here with me today, as usual, is my friend Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin. Hey, Derek. Glad to be here. It looks like different conversation, and we have a guest, which is special to both of us. So I'll let you make an introduction and I'm really looking forward to this conversation, Derek. Very much so. And yes, he's special to both of us. It's Petros Zephos is joining us today. Petros is a research scientist and he sits on our investment committees on both the Radiance Investment Committee and the Portal Digital Fund Investment Committee. And Petros has been a major player in the development of you know, large language models and large data sets, and recently participated in the development of Watson AI. But more on that in a moment. Welcome along, Petros. Yeah. Hi, Derek. Hi, Nathan. Thank you for having hey, me. Hey, Petros. Welcome back. Good to see Beyond you. Beyond the coin. Likewise. <laughs> yeah. Thanks very much. It's great to be back. <laughs> So listeners might remember that I briefly said in one of our earlier shows that I had the joy of wandering around Hyde Park with Petros for what was, hmm, gosh, four and a half hours. And we discussed what artificial intelligence was, what large language models were and how they worked. And I said to myself, this has been one of the most extraordinarily enlightening times that I've had. You know, when your brain just tingles with new knowledge that is different to how you previously thought. And I especially said to myself, I'd love to share this, share Petros with our audience so that we can get some real clarity on what is thrown around as this term artificial intelligence. Now I said to Paul Petros, we've got to put that four and a half hours into 20 minutes. So Petros, the pressure is on. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to try to compress it as much as I can. It was a lovely walk and even lovelier conversation. Four and a half hours. Sure. Petros, you should, you should be billing uh, Derek. You should be billing Derek for, for your time. Absolutely. Uh, that's a treat so, for sure. We know when, you know, we know now the term artificial intelligence is used for most anything. In fact, we use AI in the thing called Descript, which tidies up our ums and ahs through this, through this podcast. You wouldn't believe there are ums and ahs in this podcast, heaven forbid. And we also, of course, sometimes build the preamble to what might be sitting on LinkedIn or might be sitting using ChatGPT just to reduce it down to 50 words or 20 words, et cetera. We all do that. There are website bots that communicate with people now quite capably, I was about to say intelligently. There are medical diagnosis systems using artificial intelligence. You know, there are, pre, there are legal procedures and precedents set and preparing cases, autonomous cars. They're now virtual assistants, which are doing your communication with you, all using this thing that we call AI. However, AI has been used for a long time, hasn't it, Petros? Every time a new technology seems to appear, it's called AI. But in fact, 
so far, it's never been AI, is it? Yeah, that's a good question. AI as a term has been around for quite some time. By the way, I should preface by saying that all opinions here <laughs> expressed here are my own, <laughs> right? Just make sure that we keep the powers that be happy. <laughs> <laughs> so having said that, artificial intelligence as a term was coined by one of the founding fathers of the field, the name Don McCarthy, back in 1956 at the famous Dartmouth conference where a number of very well-known computer scientists essentially started the field. And there's been all sorts of definitions throughout the years and the decades since then in terms of what artificial intelligence is or is not. One of the best kind of definitions that have come around is actually the one coming from John McCarthy, the founding father, said that it is the science and engineering of making intelligent machines, especially intelligent computer programs, which of course, begets the question of what is intelligence in the first place, right? Mm. Um, some simple definition of that at the high level is essentially the computational part of the ability to achieve goals in the world, right? And uh, sticking with the computational part, we've been having computations for some time now, right? Uh, for several yes. decades, all sorts of different types of computations. Mm -hmm. So in some sense, definitionally, um, this has changed over the years, and with every, in some sense, new wave of AI technology, there is a renewed, in some sense, interest in the field with kind of, you know, excitement that follows as well as the investment amounts and dollars, essentially, that are thrown into the field. Um, of course, the latest ones are large language models. ChatGPT is one of the prime examples of this. These are essentially part of some that is called generative AI. This is only one type of, of artificial intelligence, of essentially the computational part of achieving goals. And uh, this is essentially the one current, um, in some sense, um, 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 approach that generates massive excitement and uh, shows lots of promise mm. because of its ability to handle different types of data, including text, natural language, including images, videos, the so-called multiple modalities, multimodal. So we can talk about this. Hmm. So when you're talking about artificial intelligence, you've just defined it there really kind of differently. And that is, it's actually not intelligence, it's actually computational power. And, and I think if we step away from our, our mystifying things with intelligence and sentient beings and everything, we just throw that out and stop the nonsense, so to speak and we just look at computational power, I find it becomes a lot more interesting because then all of a sudden you can see the mechanism of what's working. So let's get to the basics of this. When we see things like Watson working, which of course Watson AI is IBM's enterprise-based solution. And then we see things like ChatGPT, which is very much the consumer broad solution. Crack it down to the basics. What exactly is it doing when I ask a question of it to resolve a problem? Yeah, so of course it does uh, what every computer system does, computations, right? That's mm. the computational part. You know, what, are, what types of computations can be considered intelligent? This is actually an open question, right? It's not a clear definition of this, is, this type of computation is intelligence versus the other. Right. In some sense, that's why it doesn't make much sense to say whether 
intelligence is a single thing that can be answered with a yes or no, right? Yeah. There are mechanisms, basically, that and intelligence essentially involves mechanisms, right? And research in AI essentially discovers how to make computers carry out some of them, right? Yeah. Some of these mechanisms. So leaving aside, you know, these kind of definitions, the likes, for example, of the large language models in ChatGPT belong onto a, an approach of um, AI that's called generative AI. Essentially, these are neural networks, deep neural networks to be more precise, meaning neural networks with many, many layers of neurons that can take raw data in one of the many uh, modalities. Large language models typically handle text. There are other types of generative AI models that handle other modalities such as images, videos, and so forth. And essentially, in some sense, learn these models, how to generate probable outputs, right? Statistically probable outputs that are, in some sense, very close, but not necessarily original, identical to the initial data that they were trained on, right? Mm -hmm. So in yeah. some sense, they learn how to identify patterns in the data that they have been, in some sense, trained with, mm -hmm. right? and generate output that is very, very similar, not necessarily though identical, because in that case, we would have just simple kind of memorization, right? Mm -hmm. To the original input that they were trained with. That's in some sense, in, in one kind of simple sentence or a description yeah. is what GPT and the likes of other large language models, for example, you know, the ones coming from the meta AI, such as Llama, the ones coming from, you know, Google, such as Palm and Palm 2, from all sorts of major kind of companies as well as open source initiatives, that's what they do at the very kind of, you know, basic level. So uh, it so goes out and accumulates an enormous amount of data and it structures that in these forms of tokens and vectors, and then it interrogates those. Maybe you could explain much better than I just did then, that's not an explanation, of how that occurs, because that helps you visualize the mechanism that large language models around text are certainly working. Yeah, so the way it works is that, as you mentioned very well, they, in order to train these models, very, very large amounts of data is, you know, are required, right? But this data is not labeled, right? Meaning they're not attached with some sort of characterization of what they constitute. So the way these large language models work is that they, first of all, convert the representation of text into a tokenized, as it's called, representation, essentially vectors of numbers that are able, with which, with which representation, you're able to compute how close a prediction on that text is to the original that was used in order to and that was trained on essentially right mm -hmm. so in some sense you, the model starts trains itself by making continuous predictions on using the data that it was fed in terms of text by predicting what is the next token or the next word essentially or the next sentence right if you'd like based mm -hmm. on what it has seen now by comparing how close the prediction that the model made is to the original input that it was given, you can essentially tune, continuously tune and train the model to make better and better predictions, mm. right? Essentially, that's where the generative part of 
AI, right, of these uh, AI models. That's where it comes um, from. And uh, the representation, if you'd like, that the model uses in order to both make this prediction as well as calculate how far off from the ground truth, if you'd like, it is, is tokens, right? And tokens are vectors of numbers that in some vectorized space are able to be used for calculating errors, right? Distances, basically. That's kind of at the high level how essentially a generative AI model, large language model is trained on a sequence of tokens, essentially a sequence of words, which is text, right? And I'll ask one more there, sorry. And, and that is that when you and I were talking about this, we, we used the example of, say, a token being a horse, the statement of a horse. And then we use another one saying it's a statement of a horse from Spain. And you started adding vectors to the token. And then it was a statement of a horse in Spain that danced. So you're adding more and more vectors to the token. And then it's a statement of the horse Spain dances called Andalus. And as these vectors were getting built, there was more and more opportunity for the calculation to be able to look at this and go, wait a sec, I think this fellow who's asked me about what is a dancing horse wants to talk about Andalus horses in Spain, in which case I'm going to give him the following answers. And this kind of logic that we think is truly magical, because it is, the outcome is quite magical for us, is actually just a massive computational system that's picking on exactly. these tokens with large numbers of vectors connected to them. Is that broadly right? That's broadly right, yes. Essentially, the model has managed to statistically learn, right, the sequence of tokens that, quote unquote, make sense according to its input, right? And I should also say at this point that the tokens themselves, these vectors that we're referring to, essentially represent words in context, right? Meaning that in many cases, you can have the same word but used in a different in, in different contexts. So for example, the word jaguar, it can refer to an animal, or it can refer to one of your popular one of your favorite topics, cars. Right <laughs> now, whether it is it refers to an animal or to a car, you can only derive this from the context, meaning the surrounding words that encompass the word jaguar, right? Mm -hmm. So essentially this type of encoding at a high level takes place in these vectorized representations that we call tokens. And that's how, in some sense, these models are able to distinguish between nuances in language, right? As well as different, in some sense, meanings of a word that on the surface looks the same or sounds the same. For yes. example, jaguar. Yes. Hey, so this is super fascinating, and I'll, I'll, I'd like to even inform the audience, I had actually a pure joy of working with Petros when I moved into IBM Research back in the day, and I was leading the future of finance, and I would actually always rely back on, on Petros. I think Petros at the time, I think you were working on time series and all slew of things with LTSMs and and and, and various modeling techniques, and, and, and Derek, I'll tell you, there were some very large financial institutions that we were working and figuring out as to what technology do we use when we are going into real-time movement of assets, whether it's real-time payments or whether it's crypto, what technology do we use to be able to make this real-time prediction? In fact, we are figuring out at the time as to how can you go into minority report to say, what's the probability of a wallet being created and being engaged in financial crimes before it's during creation time and wow. everything else. So I, I think we learned a lot in the process and, and Petros, as a research scientist, right, you've talked about 
the overall John McCarthy sort of statement of the father of, of AI who led down the entire elements of what artificial intelligence is and then eventually the entire vision of general general AI, which is basically ability to communicate like humans with feelings and, and emotions and everything else. What is, as you're seeing the progress, NVIDIA announces earnings today, which is reflective of the compute <laughs> element, as you mentioned. Derek, I don't know if you're keeping up with the the you know, NVIDIA movement, certainly 88% <laughs> higher performance, not just from the chipset, but also from their financial performance. <laughs> some some amazing numbers, a massive growth pattern. Mm-hmm. And this is all technology, it's all computation. So as a research scientist for you, Petros, what, what are you looking, like what are the still the challenges? Because we think now AI can do it. There's all kinds of conversation in regulatory circles, circles that I move in now with, hey, is this safe? Are we doing the right things? But I'm sure there's a lot of deficiency around. So can you sort of shed light on, on the fact that, yes, there's this romantic element of AI, but as a research scientist, what, what keeps you up? Like, what is your thinking around this whole thing? Yeah, no, that's a very good question. Before going to that, I just want to say about NVIDIA, since you mentioned that NVIDIA is essentially the company that sells the shovels in the AI gold rush. So it's make a, it's making a mint, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I was following the earnings of NVIDIA as well. Um, putting NVIDIA aside, though, um, it's true that AI and the AI techniques and mechanisms, those that you mentioned from the kind of a, a different domain of AI and machine learning that essentially looks into time series, essentially sequence of timestamped values, right? Real values. Or whether we're referring to large language models and generative AI of the likes of ChatGPT and what have you, there are certain things as usual that, you know, certain concerns that arise. For example, bias that is encoded into such kind of models during their training, right? Biases that exist in the real world, right? Bias, biases that exist in the data, right? And AI as a tool, as a rapid fire tool, tool I should say, has the tendency to amplify these biases. So this is something that definitely has to be kind of top of mind when one tries to apply such kind of tools. Explainability of the models. Um, we've come to a, pl- to a point in time when um, the models have become so complicated, consisting of billions of parameters, that actually tracing the decision that the mo- tracing back the decision that the model has made back to you know which kind of features it looked at first what essentially influenced the model towards making a given decision has started becoming a very difficult problem and it's not a coincidence that many of these models are actually considered as black boxes right pretty much mm-hmm. we know how to put them together we know their architecture but we cannot really explain how the model has reached a certain conclusion right so explainability of models, biases, right? At the end of the day, how these models are used, right? Is also, are these kind of, all of these are kind of concerns that both the AI and the research, technical research community is very actively thinking about and investigating as well as engaging with other kind of types of stakeholders such as ethicists and, uh, you know, like uh, the regulatory regimes, you know, even like from the philosophical kind of point of view, you know, what does it mean essentially to have a computational system making decision on behalf of humans, right? Mm. So there are all sorts of kind of very interesting kind of questions 
that arise towards that. And uh, it's many of these questions are still open, basically. There's no kind of a definitive answer. Pertaining to large language models and generative AI, there are some also very well-known deficiencies. For example, as I mentioned before, generative generative models, because they're able to produce output that is statistical, statistically very similar, but not necessarily identical to the input, they also tend, because of that reason, to hallucinate quite a bit. Yes. So at the end of the day, you ask something, the large language model, by the way, they have like all sorts of applications. Probably we should discuss about their applications very quickly. For example, from generating text, right? You give a prompt to, to large language models and the, the lights, likes of ChatGPT and they start essentially generating a whole paragraph. Um, you can give them a document and you can start as, asking questions against that document. They provide you with answers. They can be used to translate between languages, you know, from English to French, right? Um, they can summarize the document. They can perform a much more accurate sentiment analysis, something that finds uh, lots of applications in the finance domain as well, mm -hmm. uh, with respect to the interpretation of the various uh, documents, financial documents and, uh, and text, and how they affect essentially asset prices. So all of these applications essentially of large language models, the large language models provide answers but they also tend to hallucinate. So at some point, the user has to be very kind of cognizant of this fact and making a very kind of active, in some sense, effort, right, to both double check the output of the model as well as correct it and fix it where it doesn't perform well or where in the cases where the answer itself is just plain wrong. And there are numerous such kind of cases that over the past. Uh, no, I and, and spot on Petros because you know, like for example, I have done as I do with everything else, did a lot of experiments. I still do with a lot of these models. And for example, I do ask the the, the most common LLM implementation, which is ChatGPT in this case. Some of the questions based on my articles, and I put the language in such a way that it finds my article, and it's interesting. It'll rephrase things that are written, so it seems like exactly. it's its own. And then sometimes I write my article, and of course I go through editing process for for the stuff that I write because if you know the quality of writing it, it, it reflects upon you so it's more of a reputational elements and there are times Derek that I had a 1200 page 1200 word article and it distilled down to 500 words well maybe I'm too verbose but it didn't resonate with the way my style is so I had I would not act to accept that and I would actually go back and say I want to make certain bullet points and it read the whole thing it rephrased in such a way it was very professional but it's not how I would want to communicate to my audience. Mm. So Petros, to your point is, you know, it's almost behaving like it has hallucination, it has biases. It's almost like us in, in many respects, <laughs> the way we think. So it's close. It reflects its creators, right? <laughs> creators, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, you were telling me, Petros, that to begin with, large language models like ChatGPT or Watson actually have teams of people, large numbers of them, that are seeing the answers come through and tweaking the methodology, no, tweaking the outcome of some of the answers so that it begins the journey of the AI model to start understanding what's right and wrong. Is Maybe explain that a little bit, because that seems to be the genesis of each one of these large language models gets to become trained, not by a person, but by teams of people to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. So after kind of the large language model or any type of generative AI model essentially is trained, 
then there's a very tedious process that you know has like lots of uh, lots of names comes with the name of fine tuning or you know prompt engineering or reinforcement learning with um, human feedback um in, in a sense there's like a number of techniques that are applied in order to um essentially um uh, tailor the answers to that the model gives as well as efforts to make them grounded onto truth right and uh, this is a very kind of a difficult process in general it's one of the i would say more kind of art rather than science <laughs> at this point mm. it requires lots of uh, experimentation and uh, it's in some sense kind of a process that is continuously being kind of improved and iterated upon exactly because of 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 the ability of these models to essentially generate very plausible but output but occasionally can be wrong can be hallucinatory right and it's very difficult sometimes to to distinguish it's not just in terms of style that Nitin mentioned but it's also sometimes factually wrong mm. right or you might simply start kind of you know making up things out of uh, thin air yeah um, but it gets to a point and where all it's... Of- where it's where it's information seems to be quite scant and you interrogate it the more you interrogate it the more you insult it the more it tries to find an answer that it's going to please you you know and 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 i did this on something as simple as you know explain to me the dates and what classic cars and coffee is in in western australia right now classic cars and coffee has been around since 2016 and so there's a there's a big footprint on the internet for it and so therefore it's not as if it's unknown and it immediately turned around and said it met on Saturdays. It doesn't, it meets on Sundays. It turns around and says it meets every week. It doesn't, it meets once a month. It turns around and says it meets at this location. It's wrong. That's not the location it meets. It's really is interesting. And as I was telling it that it's getting this information wrong, it'd just have another shot at it and get it wrong again. Um, and exactly. so, so therefore, there's a certain level of information that now I wonder whether in a year's time, it'll get it right because a number of people would have told it it's wrong and these are the dates so it does self-train along the way doesn't it petros yeah it, it does continuously improve along with the input that it gets from humans right that in some sense check its output and whether it's correct or not right mm. so there is this kind of in some sense continuous feedback loop that is in play of course uh, you know garbage in garbage out if humans feed it the garbage yeah. <laughs> then mm-hmm. that's what it's going to come out as well right or that's what is going to tune itself more, you know, more promptly. So yeah. the whole overall, the overall process is something that one has to basically very consciously be careful about, right? And make sure that all kind of the safeguards are in place so that um, yeah. you know, the model is not trained on That's tuned true. on the wrong things. So Petros, let's bring this to our industry blockchain, DLT, mm-hmm. digital assets. And mm-hmm. I know me and you have been spending a lot of time on this, not only when I was at IBM, but also afterwards to ideate and brainstorm where this is heading. And I think blockchain data, whether it's transactional data or off-chain data, which just has been lion's share of conversation with Web3.0 because Web3.0 is creator-led economy. If not all, many of the Web3 projects and protocols are the life are driven by data in general whether it's a creator creating images and creator creating, you know, PIFs, which is the NFT revolution that we saw. And then the NFT marketplace is in exchange. You have wallet information. I'm working on a few things which allows us to be able to 
look into tokenized assets and go and ascertain the value of the asset, which is what you do today for traditional assets. And based on the value, you you have your risk models or you have your lending capabilities and everything else. So there's an enormous amount of data in the pockets of data. And what DLT and blockchain does is just by the nature of the model, every transaction is linked. Ergo, every data types of transaction because it's a linked list in general. So, and quietly, there are companies that are aggregating and organizing and and providing access to both static and real-time data access. In this case, you have multiple chains. So you can see as to how every time you have a new asset class, and God knows we have 200,000 plus tokens and 50,000 of them are tradable and mainstream is like say 40 or 50 of them. Not just the financial crimes, the ability for me to shift from one asset class to the asset class is almost instant, but also the investment opportunities, the opportunities between the asset pair trading that happens in various markets. So there's a whole slew of things that are packed in it. Love to get your thoughts of, you know, and again, I think blockchain data is a huge, huge, though we have some companies who are largely going after analysis and financial crimes. And I think Derek and myself have cited chain analysis in terms of percentage of usage of crypto around the world and figuring out where things are. How do you see uh, AI and machine learning? And I'm going to use machine learning as a sub- uh, field of AI. How do you see this? If you were, if you had a crystal ball and the visionary that you are, how do you see this field evolving that the industry itself can keep up and basically answer the question that regulators, the common people, and the financial professionals are able to, you know, use this in a meaningful way? If if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's an interesting question. And something that should be stated is, of course, that the use of AI or machine learning, actually, as you qualified even more properly, has been used both in the traditional finance space, in the traditional asset classes, as well as in the crypto space and the digital assets for quite some time now. Quantitative methods, essentially, that analyze all sorts of um, um, quantitative data that come from the blockchains. Essentially, the blockchain itself is a is a very large distributed ledger, right? So there's all sorts of quantitative data, the analysis of which actually takes place using all sorts of machine learning techniques, right? Now, generative AI and large language models, I personally kind of think of them as the analogy that the calculator had for quantitative, for calculations, arithmetic calculations. Generative AI and large language models, essentially the calculator, the equivalent of the calculator for language and text. That's uh, in, uh, you know one way of uh, seeing it actually. So um, all sorts of analysis pertaining to the blockchains, the economic models, the description of assets in their textual form can essentially be analyzed or, um, through a large language model. In some sense, that's particularly useful for the fundamental analysts, right? The ones, the one that essentially looks into the economics. Uh, behind the tokens, the numerous tokens that you mentioned, uh, the descriptions of the protocols, descriptions of the digital assets. Large language models, by virtue of applications of summarization, sentiment analysis, the ability to essentially ask questions against the document that describes the protocol, that essentially provides an accelerator, right, an augmentation to the analyst that looks at these tokens from the fundamental perspective. 
right? So it's kind of well known, at least so far, that large language models are not particularly competitive in quantitative analysis. But for that, there's like all sorts of other techniques for quantitative analysis of actual kind of arithmetic, if you'd like, data that can be derived from the blockchains. So essentially, what I'm trying to say is that large language models, which is the kind of new kid on the block in some sense of AI, is yet another tool in the toolbox or the tool set that the analyst, specifically the fundamental analyst, can use to accelerate their job of understanding what these assets are about. Having said that, in the industry itself, and by virtue of their generation, text generation abilities, they can be used to generate all sorts of marketing material, <laughs> right? All sorts of kind of reports and the text that accompanies these regular emails for the, you know, informing essentially investors. And these all pertain essentially to the fund, uh, fund management industry, right? And these are further kind of applications of large language models themselves. Just briefly, and as broad as you need to make it, you, of course, are also working on a, a full analysis of tokens in the marketplace for Radiance, and we call that Pathfinder. Maybe explain what Pathfinder does and why, why we use that at, in Radiance as an example of, of just data science shrinking, you know, churning and calculating of large volumes of, of data to provide a, 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 you know, a path and, and ultimately a direction to where we will invest. Yeah, very briefly, we can describe Pathfinder as a tool for quantitative analysis of digital asset prices, right? Essentially, it shifts through numerous factors that can potentially describe why you know the price is formed for a digital asset the way it does, right? Essentially, price formation. Mm. And looks into numerous such kind of factors, data pertaining to market, right? Essentially, relating to the protocol's governance token, data relating to the usage of the protocol, relating to the valuation of the, of the token and the project itself, financial data pertaining to the economic sustainability or profitability of the protocol, Alternative data, for example, you know, like how many users it has, how many developers uh, the particular mm. project, um, mm. um, essentially, you know, how many um, active developers essentially contribute to the project, commits, uh, you know, transactions per second, so on and so forth. So it looks essentially into all sorts of different quantitative factors that can potentially be used for describing the price formation of tokens. And we essentially use that in order to be able to quickly shift through the thousands of tokens that, that Nitin mentioned in the digital asset space and see basically based on these quantitative factors, which are the most kind of promising ones. Yes. Now, based on this kind of, on the output of this, we perform further fundamental analysis, yes. right, in order to understand the actual economics behind the protocol, the usage, the teams, right, and so on and so forth. So there's essentially a marriage between the fundamental analysis and the quantitative analysis um, on that front. Fantastic. Thank you. Look, Petros, I I love hanging out with you. We can you. go on for hours. We can hours. go for hours. <laughs> Four and a half, in fact. And so, <laughs> and so truly... Um, version. <laughs> 
you know, if the audience would like some more answers in particular areas, by all means, ping them across. Happy to introduce Petros along the way if there's some specific things you want to talk about. From my point of view, I just feel incredibly lucky to be alive at this time in history when extraordinary things like large language models are being created in front of us. I have been generationally through a period where at the very end of school, I used a slide ruler and then a calculator. And I remember <laughs> exactly. people saying the calculator was cheating. And I remember when I got my pilot's license knitting, I was using a navigation, navigation calculator, which was like a slide ruler. Pretty thing, but pointless and made you very airsick when you tried to use it. And, and, and then that started moving straight across to the use of all the calculations being done on iPad sitting on your legs. You know, and then I remember, you know, the very first of the PCs, the first of the internet, and the internet all of it came, you know, the internet of knowledge. And so the ability to just remember everything was just dropped away because it was there already. And so everyone said, oh, that's cheating. The internet's cheating. You can't use that because that'll cheat on where the language is. Now the discussion is that these idea creators, which is a lot of what some of the large language model is, is cheating again. And I would argue it's not. It's just like the calculator. It's just like the internet. It's just like exactly. the early PCs. It's just another tool. But it's a great tool because you can use this tool to be creative. You can go what if, throw ideas around, let it create things. And I find it's the best whiteboard I've ever had in my life. And, and working with you on Pathfinder, I find the, the accumulation of huge amounts of data to find a path to point to a token, which is the best method, which is the best token to invest in and why is also a fascinating journey. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us again. And, and thank you, Nitin, for bringing Petros into our world. No, no, I, it, it's just been nothing an honor. <laughs> and I think we should have this normal thing of a dose of reality is when things get too fuzzy, just bring Petros in after every few months, just to keep us on track. Because, hey, we're still a quite smart show here. So Petros, thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. No, thank you for having me again, Derek and Nitin. It's always a pleasure. Cool. Good on you. Bye for now. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.